Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 6th, 2010. I always suggest that newcomers look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and you'll find hundreds of talks I've given in the past, audios for download, lots of, they're all, all those sites you'll see listed on the com uh, should be bookmarked for future use because sometimes the com goes down and that way you'll get the latest shows, but they all carry uh, a lot of transcripts of, uh, for prints up of a lot of the talks I've given over the years too. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and you can find quite a, a selection there to choose from. And remember too, I exist by selling the few books I have and the discs and so on. I don't have time to do much else because this is more than what you would think of as a, a job. It's not a job. I'd hate to even say it's a vocation. It's a must-be thing that has to be done right now because we don't have much time to really express the histories of how we got to where we are. And I try to put it together for you in ways that you, often you, you would never dream of. So many things we take for granted that should be obvious to everyone has been blinded from their sight by those who know how to program you, and you've been programmed from birth. So if you want to buy the books and so on, keep me going. Go into the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. You'll see how to pay for them, to purchase them, the costs of them. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use a personal check. You can use an international postal money order from your post office from the U.S. to Canada. Uh, cash, some people still send cash. And... Um, PayPal for donations or to purchase. If you want to purchase with PayPal, send a separate email with your name, address, and order after you send the PayPal donation, and I'll get it right out to you. Same across the rest of the world. Some people still send cash. It's accepted in the bank so far here. And um, PayPal to order or donate, or both. Some people should think of that, too. You can actually do both. Really, yeah. After all, you're getting all this for free every night, five nights a week. So help me out and keep me going because the costs here are expensive. Now, as I said, I try to show you shortcuts to understanding the big world order. And I've likened this to waking up as though you're underground. Kind of like the Australian Aborigines used to talk about that they came up out of the earth to tell the people what had happened in a previous age. Well, it's kind of like that. When you wake up, you are so comfortable living underground in a Plato's cave, uh, and everything is so familiar. Everyone behaves the same as you, believes the same as you, and um, even though I no inkling there's anything wrong, if you start to wonder if there is, you find a tunnel that goes up to the surface, then there's a big field, and at the far end of the field, there's a forest. So you start heading for that forest to get off the field, and it's covered with landmines, with signposts, too, that pop up and say, here's the truth, and no, here's the truth, and there's hundreds of versions 
of the truth because the big boys who gave you Plato's cave made sure that when you try to wake up, they've already got all the stuff dished out for you to follow and spin away years of your life uh, doing things that are basically irrelevant to your real understanding or to combat any true planned change. And that's all this is about, really. We're documenting the biggest changes the world has gone through uh, since the Industrial Revolution forced millions off the land and into the purpose-made crowded cities where they died off by the thousands uh, pretty well every week. That's what's happening today as people flood towards the city centres and we'll talk about a little bit of that when we come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. I'm talking about this new world order and it sounds so simple really. People think it's a self, yeah, they change flags or add something to it or uh, shake hands across the sea and all that kind of stuff. But it's nothing of the kind. It's to bring in a controlled, a planned controlled society. The plan was laid out years and many years ago, hundreds of years ago actually, even in the 1700s. And to bring in a, a society where uh, the ones who had the rights to to live should carry on forever with their own offspring, eugenics basically, the the ones who deemed themselves the proper elites, uh, who'd proven their elitism by either inventions or by uh, acquiring lots of money, often both together, or stealing someone else's invention, and. Um, they, they, during the French Revolution, a lot of the, st- the literature was given out to the general public on uh, what we've not, we would now call sustainability. People don't realize that was part of the French Revolution. Sustainability, as we call it today, where they actually rounded up what they thought were excess peasantry on the land and basically put them into barges and rivers and, and even the coastline of the sea and, and, and sunk them. Very similar to the tactics used uh, when the Bolsheviks took over in the Second Revolution in Russia. They gave us the Soviet Union. Very, very similar. They did the same thing. They starved millions of people, uh, especially the small farmers, the really peasant farmers. They were not rich people at all. So you don't realize this is a very old plan, but the plan has really gained momentum in the 20th century up to the present uh, with the League of Nations. And the League of Nations was brought in by a group working on the premise that the elite should rule the world, and that was the Milner Group, Lord Alfred Milner, who was also a banker, and international banker, of course. And all his members initially were two. They all went to uh, Oxford University. Uh, they came from uh, well-established families. By, by that, I mean, I mean stinking rich. That's well-established, you see. And... They laid out their plan along with the, with the Cecil Rhodes Society. There's another branch as they merged together into the Royal Institute of International Affairs to bring this world plan in. And they had to get the countries to have, first have conflicts and then through accords and peace treaties, they just gradually merged the world into one big corporation, which of course would be ruled by professionals and scientists and so on, where the general public would be trained trained from birth to obey in various ways which they'd even be unaware of because 
by the time that Pavlov came along, they had a lot of data on human behavior already in their archives. And they haven't stopped. They haven't stopped. There's nobody put it better than Carol Quigley, the professor who was the historian, the, the official historian who, for the CFR, which is the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And he laid it all out in the line that these guys had admitted in their own writings to getting the Boer War going to take over South Africa and its mineral rights and so on. And they had plans for a world war with Germany in the works. They, they worked on that for years, World War One, to get in, to bring in the League of Nations, the precursor to the United Nations. They also helped to set up foundations. Foundations would run around national parliaments and sovereign states, and they would basically have tax-free uh, exempt um, status, basically. Incredible wealth. And, of course, the big, big bankers who were all in the same cabal, including the ones of their American cousins, uh, formed these foundations and then created the pressure groups, which we now call non-governmental organizations. Many of them sound so official you think they're part of government, but they're not. They're private. And therefore, they go ahead and spend their money and a lot of the government's money, which, by the way, your government gives them too, to carry forward what they call radical plans. Radical. In fact, you can get a grant from your government if you want to open a, a, a store to show off fetuses and urine, stuff like that, like artwork, they call it today. That's called radical art or radical feminism or radical anything, but it has to be radical. And, of course, it's the approved radical is to destroy all of society in order to rebuild it out of the shambles and bring in the new, a completely ordered dictatorial society from birth to death. That's it really summed up in a nutshell. Now, one of the, the big groups, of course, he referred to was the Club of Rome. And the Club of Rome is uh, really... Uh, a big think tank that works with the United Nations. And, of course, the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs or the Milner Group set up also, not just the League of Nations, but then the United Nations for their purposes. And the Club of Rome uh, put out their, their various books, um, The First Global Revolution and so on, where they admitted they came up with a con of um, global warming. That would fit the bill. That's what they said in their own words in that book. That would fit the bill uh, to get all the, the laws passed to control the general populations, to start the real push for control on consumption and so on. Well, they've gone a lot further since then, of course, because they're now totally merged with government in this strange private public uh, corporate style uh, that came in about 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago even, public-private partnership deals. Here's one of them here, and it's on social sustainable economic degrowth. They call it degrowth. And I've read this before, actually, but I'll read it again because it's very important you know what's happening. You'll know why the economy crashed now on cue. It was designed to crash, and then you were told to have austerity. It's all the same thing, you see. This is part of a plan. And this was from a meeting in uh, one year ago held inside the European Parliament, by the way, by these private organizations, along with some members of the European Parliament. Socially sustainable economic degrowth, it says. The global economy has been growing for decades with a high speed, largely ignoring the warnings of the limits to growth, 
which was the first report of the Club of Rome by Donello Meadows, Dennis Meadows and Jorgen Randers in 1972. But in a limited system, unlimited growth is impossible. It has come to an end. The question is just when and how. It says these were the, the, the topics uh, which was discussed at a workshop in the European Parliament, inside the Parliament, this private organization, on April the 16th, 2009, hosted by members of the European Parliament, Bart Stays and the Greens, of course, and the U- European Free Alliance. Now, the European Free Alliance is part of common purpose, by the way. That's the general overall term name I think they use for the whole lot of the groups uh, across Europe. Whereas in Britain, they tend to just to stick to the name now, although they used to have another one uh, of, of common purpose, another non-profit, charitable, multi-million dollar organization. But here's some of the, the topics they discussed here. It says options for socially sustainable economic degrowth. Now, of course, amongst this too is also population control, etc. Then it's got sustainable degrowth of production and consumption capacities, Degrowth or reduction of the ecological footprint. Everything's got footprints these days, even if they don't have feet. In order to fight poverty. This is the the, the rubbish they're putting out because they've already admitted they must lower the populations of the third world. So they don't care about poverty. Especially don't care about poverty in America or Britain or anywhere else. They've they've, they've gone through and plundered. It says here, resource use and ecological limits to growth implications for degrowth, which means starvation and so on and joblessness. Limits to waste and sinks, uh, degrowth, and then they call it an inconvenient truth. Now, there's a PDF version on here, which you can download, and I'll put this link up too on my website at the end of the night, just to let you peruse, for those who want to wade through stuff and see what it's all about. But for those who think, little bells go off, because it ties in, as I say, austerity and the planned crash, financial crash on cue, and how you must now live your lives under utter supervision constantly, 24 hours per day, from birth to death. And now they've gone into the Sovietized model in Britain, and that's what it is, where they pretend to give power back to the people by pushing communitarianism, where your little uh, uh, real politic apparatus, apparatchiks come, come forward from the different organizations and start running your lives, like mummy and daddy used to do. And that's what it's like. So I'll put this link up for you to see. Now, I've talked on and on about bisphenol A and all these different stuff that are put out there in your food, even baby food, um, to sterilize you and bring down the population because it causes masses of cancers and all the rest of it. Never mind the food you're eating too and all the injections they give you. Never mind the ones they want to give you, which they've published. But... Of course, the guys who were policing themselves in Europe, for instance, were a sort of plastics association of Europe. And uh, they kept investigating themselves and saying, no, it's quite safe. So now they've paid off the EU, which isn't hard to do, and tie that in with the fact that the Club of Rome's members spoke at the EU in the last article I just read for you on implications of degrowth. That meant population, unemployment, mass unrest, so depopulation comes into it. Tie that in with it, you'll see why things are happening the way they're happening and why an article like this would even be read after all the incredible evidence against bisphenol A and so on. It says the European, uh, the EFSA, safety, I guess it's Food Safety Association, 
a reconfirmation of the safety of bisphenol A should set com- consumers' minds at ease, says the BPF. So the, the British Plastics Federation has welcomed the European Food Standards Agency, who works just the same as the FDA. You know, the, 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 the FDA is staffed by people who work for the big pharma boys. So they always get their drugs put through. And the ex-Monsanto guys. In fact, the guy in head of it, I think, is the head of, was, was the CEO of Monsanto for the, for the US FDA. So the, the European one's just the same. It's all stacked with the right people. And it says the EFSA research spearheaded by the European Commission based on a detailed and comprehensive review of recent scientific literature, which really said it was highly, highly dangerous for humans. And the substance of toxicity of bicycle A at low dates concludes they could not identify any new evidence which would lead them to revise the current daily intake of BPA. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about bisphenol A and how it's been given the green lights uh, by another study, of course, by the big boys themselves, who uh, make sure that uh, the only agency that the Europe provides to test anything has no doubt many of the, the BPA's uh, boys, the plastic industry's boys on board, you might say, in so many words. Anyway, it says here, they could not identify any new evidence which would lead them to revise this current tolerable daily intake for BPA of 0.05 milligram per body weight set by the EFSA in its 2006 opinion and reconfirmed in its 2000 opinion. The review also highlighted that data currently available does not provide convincing evidence of neurobehavioral toxicity of BPA, which is utter Rubbish, because there's been so many scientific studies done by professional science organizations and companies to prove what it does. You should see the disappearing male. Uh, that's part of the serology problem. People are being sterilized. But remember, the same plastics industry owns the melamine industry and actually put the melamine stuff, which is really plastic, into food because some wise guy managed to say, well, you know, that, that, that little molecule next to that one there could be taken as a, as a protein. So they managed to pay off somebody and get it put through as a protein so they could put it as bulk in baby's food. You wouldn't believe what goes on. Because, again, going back to the first article, the Club of Rome, depopulation, all that stuff, it all ties in together. Infertility is part of the agenda. Anyway, it says, Philip Law, Director of Public and Industrial Affairs at the BPF, said the bisphenol A issue has become highly politicized in recent years and in some countries has become divorced from the reality and nature of its use. Is that right? So it's in all your plastic water bottles and your pop bottles and everything else. The EFSA's ruling on the safety of BPA provides a solid endorsement which should set consumers' mind at ease. It probably will put your mind at ease if you take enough of it because you'll be senile. But um, it says here, I was on and on anyway, but that, that's the whole thing. It's been given the green light by the European Union, which also, by the way, gave the green light to go ahead with the, with growing all the GM food over there as well, um, to any individual country that wants to do it. You see? That's how they, they phrased it. But actually, they've given them permission to grow this stuff for testing purposes, you see. Just like every other country started off with testing fields. And maybe 10 years later, they'll tell you, like Canada, oh, by the way, it's been in your food chain for the last 10 years, and you didn't know. 
That's how things are done in the real world. Not the one we're, we're given by these characters. Just touching on that, as I say, the GM food. It says here, in this article I've got here, GM freeze. It says, this was a 30, this 13th of July 2010, EU proposals on GM crop approvals not acceptable until all major issues are tackled. Proposals due to be presented today by the European Commission to speed up EU approvals of GMOs for cultivation by claiming to introduce a right to ban GM cultivation at national level should be approached with extreme caution, according to GM Freeze. The proposals have been produced to try to overcome member state opposition to the commercial cultivation approval of GM crops. In return for concessions, which the Commission claims will allow, uh, they'll then allow the GM crops to be banned if they found against it. Member states are expected to adopt a more positive stance at the stage of risk assessment. In other words, be, you know, lean towards the plus side, you know, uh, and avoid having to recourse uh, to the safeguard clause to address non-scientific issues. Well, actually, they passed it since then, so they've gone ahead with it anyway. As, of course, they obviously will. You know, it's no different from Microsoft. When Microsoft, Bill Gates, the front man for a company, I've no doubt the CIA, the NSA, and all the big agencies funded them into existence to make to make sure that most people are all on the same system for monitoring purposes. It's far easier to have you all using the same system than having to scour independent servers, systems, and all the rest of it. Just pipe it all through one system for total control. Remember that saying, there can only be one. You know, one world, one government, one this, one that, one department of agriculture, and so on. Well, that's how it really is, and it's the same with the food. The food is to be taken completely over by one company. And your water is going to go the same way. It already is going the same way. And that's how he beats an enemy. What does he need to live? Food. Uh, okay. Food. Water. Oh, Okay. Uh, if, if he has to heat himself in a cold currently, what does he need? He needs energy. Hmm. Oh, cut back on that. Make it impossible to purchase. Too expensive for him. Then hit him even harder with carbon taxes. And so on. It, it does go. We're trained, trained to be stupid. Trained from a very early age to be utterly stupid. And never to think, and never to use reasoning, and logic to work out what on earth is going on around you. Everything is learned by rote. Repeat after me, and you parrot it off. And we're up to the university level. If you want to please the master and get your degree, just remember his lectures and what he said about things. Remember his behavior, his opinions, and put it in your thesis, in your major set. Just parrot it all back. Don't add anything in it you haven't heard him say. This article here shows you about the CIA. Human Behavior Control Studies reported in New York Times. This goes back to 1977. CIA data show a 14-year project on controlling human behavior. The Central Intelligence Agency conducted a 14-year program to find ways to control human behavior through the use of chemical, biological, and radiological material. Well, that's all being used today. Back after this. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about uh, declassified information and the CIA's shenanigans as they, they used chemical and biological and radiological warfare on their own citizenry. And, of course, people think it stopped in the 70s simply because they stopped giving you the information from the 70s to the present. Now it'll come out maybe in 2030 or whatever, the Freedom of Information. Anyway, it says here... Uh, that Mr. Marx, uh, who was a journalist, made, the, made it public eventually. And this is from the New York Times. It says, Mr. Marx, an associate of the Center for National Security Studies, asserted at a news conference that uh, Stanfield Turner, director of Central Intelligence, in a letter to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence last week, seriously distorted what the CIA research programs involved. Mr. Marx said that based on documents about the program he'd received under the Freedom of Information Act, he'd concluded that Admiral Turner seemed to be practicing what used to be called a modified limited hangout when he called the agency's activity a program of experimentation with drugs. To be sure, drugs were part of it, he said, but so were such other techniques as electronic shock, radiation, ultrasonics, psychosurgery, psychology, and incapacitating agents, which were referred to in documents I have received. The documents made public today and the discourse by the CIA last week that it found another cache of previously undiscovered records suggested broader experimentation on unwitting humans by the intelligence agency or its paid researchers than had been publicly known before. Mr. Marx said he had obtained or read about 1,000 CIA documents, many of which were never turned over to the Senate Intelligence Committee for its 1975 investigation of agency activities. CIA spokesman declined comment, of course, on Mr. Marx's charges. However, Admiral Turner told newsmen after leaving a meeting with senators that the agency was moving swiftly to review documents it had found. That means hide them or burn them, folks. Mr. Marx distributed 20 documents that described the following incidents, among others. In 1956, the CIA contracted with a private physician to test uh, bilbocarpine, uh, a drug that can cause stupor or induce a catatonic state, on monkeys and convicts incarcerated at an unnamed state penitentiary. I've told you to read the book, Acres of Skin. It's, uh, it's got so much in it, and you'll be very sick after reading it. The agency wanted to know if the drug caused the loss of speech in man, loss of sensitivity to pain, and loss of memory, loss of willpower. A letter from an unnamed CIA official in 1949 discussed ways of killing people without leaving a trace. I believe there are two chemical substances which would be most useful in that they would leave no characteristic pathological findings, and the quantities needed would, would be easily transported to places where they were to be used, the letter said. It also suggested exposure of an individual to x-rays or to an environment in which he would freeze to death if these methods were too difficult. Two methods needing no special equipment, the letter said, would be to smother the victim with a pillow or strangle him with a white piece of cloth, such as a bath towel. Then it goes on and on about other uh, things that happened during the Cold War, etc., etc. And I've mentioned before uh, the videos, and I've got the links up there this week, about the projects they did inside the United States, uh, authorized by the U.S. government on people whom they were injecting plutonium into, 
after lying to them and telling them they had cancer, and this was something that might just save them. Then they started them watching them die, clinically observing the process. Because that's all they were interested in, not the person or the people. And there was lots of them. But to make sure they had all their facts correct. You know, that's how scientists are. There's this, this uh, curiosity for, for knowing how death happens and how to do it more efficiently. You know. So I'll put these links up, as I say, on the show, uh, cutting through the matrix of the website at the end of the show, I should say. Now, as I say, this is human behavior on, by the CIA. There's so many reports about them, too, what they've done in the past, and what is ongoing. Never mind the MK Ultra experiments. There was only one uh, group doing experiments. Really, they've done many experiments of similar kinds all across the nation to their own people. What amazed me with the CIA was how you could spend millions of taxpayers' dollar, dollars over a 20-year period hiring prostitutes, wiring up their apartments, and getting them to drug their, their johns for the night to observe them. Why would you observe for 20 years the same things over and over and over? You understand, we're looking at real clinical tests over long periods that something very vital is going on for somebody's benefit, and it has to do with controlling and altering people's mindsets at the same time through various chemical means, maybe to use on the whole population down the road. We just don't know. We really don't know. Or was it to find all the kinds of perversions that some people are into and then find out the consequences of bringing it through mainstream, gradually through mainstream entertainment, and finding out what it does to you. It all ties together, you know. You don't spend 20 years just on one project for nothing. Very important projects. They have a purpose for it. Now, <laughs> laptops and computers. Toasted, toasted skin syndrome, a warning for laptop users, it says here. And it's quite interesting, actually. Either way it's written, they've gone about um, how people are, are getting burned by putting their laptops on their bare legs when they're using it. But nowhere in it, I think, till the very bottom, does it mention it about microwave. Because, see, they're using it, and most of them are wireless now built in, uh, on their maybe six hours per day on their, laptop, on, their, on their legs. And it says here, um, have you ever worked on your laptop computer when it's sitting on your lap, lap, heating up your legs? If so, you might want to rethink the habit. Uh, doing it a lot can lead to toasted skin syndrome, they're calling it. An unusual-looking mottled skin condition caused by long-term heat exposure, according to medical reports. In one recent case, a 12-year-old boy developed a sponge-patterned uh, skin discoloration on his left thigh after playing computer games a few hours every day for several months. He recognized that the laptop got hot on the left side. However, regardless of that, he did not change its position. Swiss researchers reported in an article, it says here, they put out recently. Dr. Kimberly Salkley, who treated the young woman, uh, was stumped until she learned that students spent about six hours a day working with a computer propped in her lap. The temperature underneath registered 125 degrees. Now, that's without bothering about to, to check the, the, the microwave uh, field as well around her. See, they don't want you to stop using them, obviously. 
anything but stop using them or be cautious. This is this case from, from 2007 is one of 10 laptop-related cases reported in medical journals in the past six years. The condition also can be caused by overuse of heating pads and so on. Heating pads and even hot water bottles, no kidding. There were articles coming out five years ago on skin cancers caused by the, the microwave radiation coming off the stuff. That's what they get, that's what they work on is microwave. You don't just transmit with it, you can also cook with it. So, no, it's hot water bottles and just the heat from, from the thing working they're going to blame here. So misleading, isn't it? So misleading. But it's all to put you at ease, you see, in case you start getting these strange mottled rashes on your skin that might cause cancer eventually. Hmm. Now, the whole computer business, as I say, was a front. It was discussed years ago, going through some of the history of it, when they decided to bring in this, this system that would connect all of us, not just with each other, but really with the agencies and this, the world system that would be ruling over you. And eventually government could talk directly to you, to your own website, basically. That's why they really did give it to you. Not just government at the Fed level, but right down to local government and eventually your commutarian government, your local council will be sending you messages and maybe even taking over whatever you're doing, just, just bursting right into the, to the page there or the, the screen and giving you some ur- urgent message that you have to obey. That will happen like George Orwell had in 1984 where everyone had a screen wherever they went in their, in their apartments and you couldn't turn it off and brother could see you and you could see him. But Microsoft's Balmer to invest billions in cloud data centers. This is the next step of putting it all through one system. And also it will be the end of what you really need, gradually phasing out, I would imagine, your ability to store stuff at home. Everything will be accessed through the cloud. They'll hold it all and pretend it's it's secure, but really you're giving the NSA, the world NSA, by the way, um, access to everyone's data. They want you all to put it in there for them. So... They're going to invest billions in data centers to handle increased use of cloud services where information and software are stored remotely and accessed over the Internet, Chief Executive Officer Steve Balmer said. The good news is that the cost of data centers is coming down, Balmer said at a joint press conference with Deutsche Telekom AG, CEO uh, Rennie Obermann and in Cologne, Germany Today. It says, so the Deutsche Telekom is investing about 700 million euros, which is 971 million dollars, to 800 million euros in data centers every year, said Obermann. Then they go through their PR bit about how excited they are and all that kind of stuff, you know. Cloud technology lets users and companies store data in remote storage centers that can be accessed online anywhere in the world. It's commonly used for internet-based electronic mail and business software as an online service. In September, researchers Gartner Inc. said cloud computing will represent an estimated 10.2% of organizations spending on external information technology services in 2010. And as a survey, 46% of respondents who had a budget for cloud computed or computed uh, or indicating they were they would increase the use of cloud services from external providers, Garner said. Then they're going about how wonderful it will be for the, for the revenue it will bring in and all that kind of stuff. But basically they want everyone to put all their data up there. And the harder and the more often they change their systems and windows and all the rest of it and updates and, 
and uh, spyware and yada, 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 and you know they all freeze and so on. Uh, once they say to you, the cloud will do it all for you, you'll all breathe a sigh of relief, and then you'll go. They'll do, they'll handle all those frustrating things that are built in to be frustrating. That's why they are frustrating. That's why they keep changing them too. As you're getting used to one system, they change into another. But they'll do it all for you. Mind you, if you're a bad person in the New World Order, they'll punish you by restricting access. That'll be part of the punishment. So, they call it harmonization too, he says too. This, so this bomber from uh, the CEO says, um, harmonization is needed to encourage governments to use cloud technology. What does harmonization mean? It means merging. You merge. Companies merge. That's what it means. And that's what he wants to do, is have more merging with governments to use cloud technology. That's where that's going. And... This is an article from Canada. It's called Birthright Lottery uh, from Leading Edge, Spring 2010. It says it wasn't until the birth of her child that the University of Toronto law professor Elette Shachar, I think it is, truly grasped the benefits of being a Canadian citizen. Shachar realized that her son, simply by being born on Canadian soil, had been granted membership into one of the world's most prosperous and peaceful societies. Was it fair that her son gained such an opportunity while a child born in Haiti or Ethiopia, for example, did not? So she got a new book out, uh, The Birthright Lottery. And it says, um, Shakar, the Canada Research Chair in Citizenship and Multiculturalism, examines a broad range of philosophical and legal issues concerning citizenship. In particular, she focuses on the question of why nations continue to assign citizenship based on the accident of where one is born. Back with more after this. Hi, folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And talking about citizenship and a new book that's come out by a U of T professor, University of Toronto professor, who's also, it says, she's the Canada Research Chair in Citizenship and Multiculturalism. And she says, the idea of gaining privileges by such arbitrary criteria as one's birthplace or bloodline has been discredited and banned in virtually all fields of public life. That isn't true. Some people and some races are allowed entrance in every country. Um, And it says, uh, by law. It says citizenship is perhaps the only area in which it still applies. At present, nations award citizenship mostly by birthright, said Sakhar. A child born in Haiti might not have access to clean water and education, but a child born in Canada will. The harsh reality is that most people alive today, indeed 97% of the global population, are assigned citizenship by the lottery of birth and either choose or are forced to keep it that way. I love how they always care. It's always presented that they really, really care as they get these positions and so on and rake in the cash and live rather well, you know. So to overcome this uh, arbitrary system of allotting life's chances, Sakara suggests looking at property and inheritance, uh, legal theory and history. In the feudal era, for instance, it was considered part of the natural structure that some families of wealthy estate were wealthy estate landowners and others weren't. This notion of entitlement has long since been discarded in 
property law, but it persists with respect to citizenship, said Shekhar. Now, nothing's changed because the elite now has put their money into trusts, you see. They're all into trusts, and you can't touch them. Citizenship is not a natural structure, it's a legal construct, and if we want to maintain it, uh, and we want to maintain it, or if we want to maintain it because we believe that it has a social value, then we can't be blind to the fact that it also has a global distributive implications. This is part of the one world, and we've got to redistribute wealth and all the rest of it. But it also means, under the, the, world, the free trade agreements for the world, uh, that the, the free travel across all borders of, they call it labor, they're talking about the right kind of workers. That goes all the way up to the top. In fact, really, it's about the ones at the top <laughs> can can go back and forth without any impedance in their way. So what can be done? One idea explored in the book is placing a birthright privilege levy on those benefiting from the inheritance of citizenship with the aim of eradicating the system's most glaring inequalities. So I guess you get punished if you're a citizen. Just as many countries established estate taxes to help level the playing field, Sakar's proposed birthright privilege levy, a toll on citizenship inheritance, essentially, is conceived. I guess you could, you know, if you want cash off people, the, the general cattle out there, you can, you can dream up a thousand ways to get it off them, can't you? Can't you? So, it's going to be a toll on citizenship inheritance. You inherit your citizenship if your folks were born here, you see. So, it says, it's conceived so that some of, uh, of the good fortune of those who win in the birthright lottery is transferred to those who don't. A serious consideration of their privilege of citizenship will also take into account the need for people to give back to the world, she says. You say you've got to give everything back to the world. Well, what did the world do for you? But there's no point talking with the radical lefties. You see, they're part of a big society. And you must believe in it, like Orwell's bureaucrats at the top and parrot all their tenets. So from Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.